Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, let's get into our sermon series. We are in a series in 1 Thessalonians, and last week we finally finished up chapter 1. It only took us four weeks to get through chapter 1, so if you're doing some math, if we'd spend four weeks per chapter, does anyone know how many chapters there are in the book of Thessalonians? Without looking, without looking... I forgot to, so I don't know. Five? It is five. So, but we will not be 20 weeks here, but this week, uh, well, first of all, last week we talked about three words. I kind of switched up my preaching style last week, and we talked about three words, the turn, wait, and delivered. We looked at how Paul reminded the church and challenged them to turn from our sins, to wait for the second coming of our Lord, and how the Lord has delivered us from the wrath of to come. Well, this week we're going to turn our attention to chapter 2, and in my study this past week, a phrase has been coming to my mind over and over again. And it's, it's a phrase, it's a thought, but the thought is, how do we live a life not in vain? How do we live a life not in vain? As we think about our lives, as we think about our time on this earth, at the end of it, we don't want to live a life that was in vain, do we? And maybe it's because I've been thinking about this a lot this past week, because uh, on Wednesday, I went, down, I went downstate and I buried my grandmother on Wednesday. And there's something about being at a place, watching a body get lowered in to the ground, I always think about Ecclesiastes 7.2. It says this. It says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Anytime you go to a funeral or remember someone's death, I recommend Ecclesiastes 7.2. It is better for us to go to that place. Think about this. It's better to go there than to go basically to a party. We all enjoy getting family gatherings and having a party together because there's joy and there's laughter and there's fun and there's conversations and there's usually some sort of political argument at some point in time at those family gatherings. But here it says, it's better to go to a house of mourning for the living should take this to heart. And as I was thinking about Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, and as I was looking at chapter 2 here this week, I realized I don't want any of us to live a life in vain. I want us to live a life that is fruitful, that is, that is faithful to the Lord. And as we read these six verses today, I'm going to expand and expand on that thought here. So please stand with me and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to stand out of the respect for the word of our Lord. And this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to read the first six verses this morning. It says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Verse 3, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, 
not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your text today, as we go to your word, Father, I pray, Lord, that you will come and encourage us this morning. Father, may your word be spoken clearly, and may your Holy Spirit be transforming and molding our hearts this morning. Father, we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. So I I originally wanted to speak on verses 1 through 12 this week, but in my study I realized we don't have enough time to get all the way through this. So like every other week so far, I have a plan to go further, and then we end up only taking a few verses. But before we dive in, I want to give you a little bit of an overview on what is happening in these verses, because Paul starts to shift gears in chapter 2. And the reason why Paul is shifting gears is because Paul is taking time out of this letter to defend his own ministry. And he wants to remind them of what they already know about Paul. And the reason why Paul would have to do this and would have to kind of take a pause and address his own life is because Paul had been picking up and realizing that there was rumors about who Paul was. And it wasn't rumors from within the church. It was rumors from outside of the church. And Paul realized that there was a lot on the line if Paul becomes discredited. If they can discredit Paul and his lifestyle and his ministry and his life, outsiders, and Satan knows, that they can then discredit the gospel message. So, and you guys probably probably know this, but have you ever tried to talk to someone about Christ? And have you ever heard the argument about them talking about the sins of the church? You know, you like talk to someone here, and then they will point out all of the sinful leaders that have fallen. And we don't have any short list of leaders that have fallen. Famous leaders, pastors, evangelists. There has been many Christian leaders that have fallen. And when the world sees that, the world looks at that, and that gives them ammunition to attack the message. Now, we know that our hope is not found in leaders that our hope is not found anywhere else but in Christ. But to the world around us, it becomes very easy for them to say, well, you might be a Christian, and you may want to tell me about this whole gospel thing, but I know church scandals, and I know what has taken place within churches. And they kind of use that as like an ammunition, as like a defense against them even wanting to hear about the gospel message. Now, I know... In my own ministry life, I've been in ministry for, I don't know, 15 years now, and I've been following Christ for about 20 years now, and even within my short time, I have been through, not me personally, when I say been through, I have been a part of ministries that have had scandals. Maybe you have as well. And you know the damage that happens to them, right? If you've, if you've ever been a part of a church that had some sort of leadership issue, some sort of scandal, you see the outcome of what happens. It's not just, oh, a leader fell and we just move on here, but it causes destruction, causes people to doubt, causes people to be be extremely hurt, to be broken, 
to kind of maybe even think about giving up on this whole Christ thing. The first one I was seen from at a distance is I became a Christian in February 2002, and a pastor at the church started mentoring me. And he mentored me for about 11 months. And then one Sunday, I showed up to a church, and they let me know that that pastor will no longer be here, and uh, he had been having an affair with another lady in the church. Had no idea, right? Like, I'm just, I'm just part of this. But I used to meet with this guy every single week. But I remember the senior pastor, Pastor Richard York, pulled me aside that week. He knew that I had this close relationship with this guy, and Rich knew that he needed to speak to me right then because he knew that I was a young Christian. My faith was still somewhat on shaky ground. And Rich pulled me aside and actually invited me over and spoke my, my love language. I believe he made me a sandwich that evening. It was, it was delicious. And he said, Jeff, our hope is not in man, but is in Christ. And we ended up meeting after that. And as many of you guys probably know, I pastored at that church. And I was pastoring down there for about 10 years before coming here and working with, with uh, Pastor Rich here. But nonetheless to say, church scandals and church leadership is very important. Very and what was happening in this time was that there was outsiders, there was people speaking in to this church. And they were trying to get them to kind of discredit Paul here. So Paul has to take time, and you will see this within Paul's letter. Paul takes time to defend who he is and God's calling upon his life. And in this case, the arguments that the outsiders would have been saying about Paul would have been something like this. Now, this is outsiders speaking to the church, to the Thessalonians. You foolish Christians, don't you know who this Paul and his companions are? They were only here to deceive you. They came here just to make you feel good for a little bit. They used flattery, and they only wanted fame and fortune, and that is why they ran off in the middle of the night to leave town without a trace. And that is why Paul is not here now. His message was fake. Your faith is not real. Paul is basically a traveling roadshow and entertainer. You're going to see within chapter 2, Paul is going to address who he is, his ministry, and how they know that their faith is on solid ground. And so that is why Paul has to shift gears here. And this time... And that is why I also came up with not in vain. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 2.1. So this is Paul now shifting gears and changing. This is what Paul says to the church. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Paul is shifting gears here in chapter 2, but it's interesting because in chapter 1, Paul uses terms we know. When he's writing to this church, he says, we know, brothers, but here in chapter 2, he wants to remind them, you know this. You guys can remember my time with you. You guys can remember what took place while I was with you. And what I believe is that as we look at this today, I believe Paul's ministry, Paul's example, is a great example to the church. It's a great example to believers today on how we can live a life 
that is not in vain. How we can live a life that would end up being for nothing. So as we look through here, we're going to see and be reminded of Paul's lifestyle, and we're going to see that this lifestyle should be our lifestyle as well. And I believe, church family, we need to always, as a Christian, think about the end. I'm not just saying that because of me burying grandma. In your life, every day, all the time, we should always be thinking about the end goal. What's your end goal? The grave is the destiny of all of us, right? Now, I don't necessarily feel that right now because I'm only 38, but I realize that, that, that in the end, we're all going to meet our maker. So shouldn't we live a life that would be striving towards the end? I love how Philippians says it in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. This is actually Paul writing again. He says, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I would just say, as, as a believer, even as just a non-believer, the goal should be the end. And how can we live a life that when we get to the end of our life, that we can confidently say that this life was not in vain? And we're going to see through Paul's examples here. So 1 Thessalonians 2.2, let's just pick up, and we're going to go through this verse by verse this morning here. Paul says this. He says, But though we had already suffered... And been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, for the last several weeks, I have been bringing up this idea of the conflict and the suffering that these believers went through. If you've ever read the New Testament, the New Testament is really a gospel of suffering. That as a follower of Christ... Life doesn't actually get easier. In some instances, in fact, it can become much more difficult because you now are marked by the king. And the king is hostile to the world around us. But Paul is reminding them, you guys remember what happened to me in Philippi. Now, as a church and as a preacher, I kind of wonder, do you guys know what happened to Paul in Philippi? Do you ever think about that? Like, huh, what happened there? Well, let me give you a quick reminder of what happened to Paul in Philippi. Well, if Paul was in Philippi, um, there was a a little girl in the streets that by today's standards was getting trafficked. She was a girl that had owners, right? And the owners only wanted her because she had a demon within her that could predict some future things. And when Paul and his companions saw this little girl, they casted a demon out of her. And they said, come out, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this girl became healed. Well, her owners, her traffickers, were not happy. They just lost money. This girl made them money. So now they caused an uproar. And it says that Paul received many blows. He was, his clothes were torn off. He was beat. And then Paul was placed in jail. Sounds like a fantastic ministry, doesn't it? 
Like something amazing happens. This little girl gets healed and freed from these burdens of these demons. And what happens to Paul and his companions? Tossed in jail. Well, what does Paul do while he's in jail? As may remember the story, he praises God. He starts singing. He starts like just singing hymns and praising God. And the jail master becomes saved. And then Paul baptizes him and his family. And there's actually an earthquake that takes place. And instead of Paul running out, because he knew the consequences that would happen to the man that was in charge, stayed. And then Paul was released in Philippi. And these are the circumstances Paul has coming to the Thessalonians. This, is, this was what happened in the previous town. Now Paul shows up to them. And Paul's boldness, he uses this word, but our boldness in our God. I think that is one of the greatest examples of boldness. That regardless of life circumstances, Paul's circumstances weren't good. He showed up to this town, and as we have talked about for several weeks, the circumstances did not get any better. There was an uproar. They wanted to kill Paul. They wanted to come after him. Paul had to leave in the middle of the night. But Paul says this. He says, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul's conflict, Paul's affliction, did not change Paul's, Paul's boldness. I think it would have been really easy for Paul to shrink back, right? You leave Philippi, barely leave without dying, and as he goes to the next town, you might think, Paul, maybe you should just take it easy here. You know, last time you were there, you're talking about Christ, there's some healings. Maybe you should take it easy. But Paul reminds them that when he came to them, his boldness was still there that he was bold in sharing the gospel, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what could happen or, or might happen. He is bold in his gospel message. And I think for, for our very own lives, it's a calling for us. It's a challenge. As we see Paul's life, he's bold within much conflict and affliction and pain and suffering. Church, are we bold? In the gospel? Or do we shrink back? Because it's really easy to shrink back. But we're going to see why Paul was so bold. Why was Paul bold with this gospel message? Look at verses 3 and 4 here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. Paul says, we came to you not in any kind of error or impurity, and we were not here to deceive you. But we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. This word approved in Greek means to prove, to examine, in order to determine the quality of some, of something or someone. Paul had been approved by God. And I've been kind of thinking about that one here and thinking, like, what does that exactly look like? Because we don't have any examples or really, like, any, like, clear, like, this is how Paul was approved by God. We do know that after Paul became a believer, 
Paul spent three years in Arabia with the Lord Jesus, learning and studying. But Paul's ministry, I believed, made him approved. Paul had been tested. Paul had been through trials. Paul had seen the ups and downs of what this ministry was going to be looking like. And Paul says, God has approved me. And he has been approving me for this one task. Because he has entrusted me with the gospel. Now, I don't think we actually take being entrusted with the gospel very seriously. And I'm just going to say that as a whole for believers. But in Paul's life and in Paul's ministry, he looked at that and said, God has approved me and God has entrusted me with this message. That this message which comes from him, not from me, I'm not here to deceive people, to, to just, you know, just simply be here. I'm here for this very purpose that the creator of the universe has looked down upon me and has entrusted me with this message of the gospel. And I believe that that's where, that's where ultimately Paul's, Paul's boldness comes from. Paul recognizes every single day, God has entrusted me with this message. If God entrusts me, I got to do something about it. So when Paul walks forward into horrendous situations, it doesn't even faze him. Because he's constantly knowing who entrusts him with this message. And I think about us, church. Have you ever thought that if you are a believer, if you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've come to know him, that God has entrusted you with this message as well? That this message of Jesus Christ has been entrusted into his church. And we see this. If you look at the book of Acts and how Jesus leaves. I don't know if you guys like, ever, ever thought about this, but Jesus dies and is raised again. And then he leaves. And he looks to his disciples and he says, you're it. Like, I mean, I mean, just really, really think about that. God entrusts man with this gospel message. And, and Jesus tells him, I want you to go throughout all of the world and share the gospel message of Jesus. And it is a huge weight. And it is a weight I think sometimes we don't take serious enough. That if you are a believer, God has entrusted you with this. It's not just here for you just to be like, well, you know, I just kind of enjoy being a Christian, and I think it's cool, and I think it's good. He has a purpose and a plan for us that this gospel message has been entrusted to you to go forward. It's not stagnant. It's not a message that's just like, I'm just going to hide this message away, and it's just for me here. It's entrusted to us to bring this gospel forward. And Paul recognized that, and I, I think that that's where Paul's boldness comes from. Well, as you read on in verse 4, he says this as well, 1 Thessalonians 2.4. He says, But we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak these next words, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We are not here to please man. In fact, Paul has already experienced man heavily. And I've talked about this a lot, but if you think about it, Paul had experienced what mankind can do to him over and over and over. 
And Paul, as he writes this letter to them, he reminds them, I'm not here to please man. God has entrusted me with this message of the gospel that I must bring forth. But the fear of man is a real fear. It grips a lot of people's hearts. It has plagued the church, I believe, for years. That there are believers that love Jesus, but this fear of man has gripped their hearts and minds. That they can't get over what people might think, what people might do. And I love Paul's example. Paul knows what mankind can do and will do. It could be ugly, but mankind also has the amazing ability to accept Christ and follow him. But Paul recognizes, I'm not here to please man. Like, you know, he, Paul had gotten over his fear of mankind. And I would say that, is, that can be a serious struggle, a serious hurdle for many believers. Maybe even some of you in this room today, that when you think about sharing this gospel, when, when you think about telling people about Jesus, fear sets in. Like, well, what if? What if they reject it? What if they reject me? What if they don't like it? What if they don't want to hear it? And we can run through all of these what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, and all that it is is a fear of man. Is a fear of, well, what if they, they don't like me? What if they reject me? And I believe it has been holding back, especially the American church, for years. That we have become so like we need to like fit into the culture and we need to we don't want to offend anyone, we don't want to get anyone too like upset here in this gospel mess. The gospel will be offensive. Because the gospel is a call to repent of sins. That the sins of this world, we have to turn from them and we have to trust in Christ our Savior. And it is offensive. And guys, I get it. There are people, I, I will just say this from being in ministry. It is really easy to go on a mission trip. If you've ever been on a mission trip here, I don't know, some of you might have. It's really, go to, really easy to go someplace, someplace else, someplace new, and talk to people about the Lord. I, I can't even explain it to you. I mean, working with Samaritan's Purse so many times, you see the like, homeowner, and it's so easy just to shake their hand and tell them who Christ is, right? But it's really, really difficult sometimes when it comes to family members. You know, like, you know, like, let's just, like, be honest here. Like, it's, it's sometimes easier to kind of go and not know them. You got no baggage with them. You have no history with them. But I don't think it should hold us back from the people that are close to us. I do have family members. It is difficult. I do think, well, what's going to happen here? Is this going to break the, the relationship? But the boldness that we have to have because God has entrusted us with this gospel, I think is so important for us, church family. And I think that we have to really get over this fear of man that plagues so many people. And anytime you run through that phrase in your head, what if? Get rid of it. What if? It doesn't matter. It, it, it simply doesn't matter because God has called you and me and his people and his church to be a light of the world, to bring this gospel message of, of what Jesus has done for this world. Jesus has forgiven them by what he has done on the cross. It is the greatest message to mankind. And we sometimes shrink, shrink back from it. But guys, it's the hope 
that this world has. Paul recognizes that if he doesn't go out and share this gospel and love people and and bring this message of the gospel to them, that they're going to spend eternity separated from their creator. And Paul loves people so much that he doesn't want to see any one of them be separated from their creator. And as I think about our church family, how can we live a life not in vain? I think of Paul's examples here. He's bold. He's extremely bold. He recognizes who he is. He is entrusted with this gospel message, and he recognizes, I'm not here to please mankind. Man is going to do what man is going to do. I'm not here to please them. But he says this, but to please God who tests our hearts. That's Paul's ultimate goal. And I think, I think, church, that ought to be our ultimate goal as well. That our lives, daily, hourly, God, I'm here to please you. I'm your servant to you. I want to live a life in obedience to you in all things. And yes, we do have struggles. We do fail. We do fall down. But God's grace covers a multitude of sin. But we have to be living a life, I think, that is striving to be pleasing God. I love how F.B. Meyer said, he lived in the mid-1800s and early 1900s. He was a friend of D.L. Moody, Moody of Bible, Moody Bible down in Chicago, and if you've ever read stories about, about Moody, incredible evangelist. Moody, I believed, was the guy who said, I have to tell one person per day about Christ, that that was his mission, his goal. If I can just tell one person, there would be times where he would be going to bed at night realizing, I didn't tell anybody about Christ. He would get up from his bed, go out into the streets, find someone, share the gospel with them, and many times they would get saved. So this guy, Meyer, who is a friend, and he was in a pastor and evangelist over in England, he said this about our lives. It appears to me to be the noblest aim in life, to live entirely devoted to the one object of bringing others to know him who has accomplished so much for us. When weighed against the hereafter, earth and its careers sink into insignificance. Church family, I want us to live a life that is worthy of our calling. Because I don't want us to get to the end of our lives, which we're all going to get there, and think, what did I really accomplish here? Did I just live a life that was just for me? Was I just building my own kingdom? Was I just doing whatever I wanted to do, whatever fun and, and entertainment and joys that I wanted? As I look at Paul, I think his example to us, oh, we have to take it to heart, to be bold with this gospel, to not be afraid of man, to not, to not even care what mankind thinks because we're not here to please them. We're here to please our Creator. And my prayer, church family, is that we would be men and women that would live this life. And we're going to see more examples next week, and we're going to be picking up on this here. But I want you to stand. I want to pray for you guys this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team up uh, 
to uh, lead us in the last song that they sang. I believe it was a Revelation song, but let me pray for us this morning, and I'm going to pray that the Lord will encourage us and challenge us and empower us to be his men and women. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul's life. Lord, I thank you for Paul's example here. Father, help us to be men and women that will live as Paul lived. Father, I do pray, Lord, that we will take seriously that you have entrusted us with your gospel. And Father, as we go forward and as we sing this song, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would seal in our hearts boldness from you. Father, our desire is to please you. I give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.